It's a privilege every time we get to come and share here at Heart of the Father. Uh, yeah, thank you to everybody that's invited us back. Uh, but yeah, we are, we are really happy to be here. Uh, he was just saying my name, but you know, my middle name is Paul, which means little. So like, I feel sometimes instead of like a thunder bear, like, wow, I feel like every I ever watched Care Bears back in the day, there was the one with the little storm on them. He's like, ah. like, like that's, that's how I felt most of my life in relation to that name. But anyways, I have had a temper for most of my life. So I figured, you know, let's drop the thunder and just keep the bear and maybe he won't have a temper like his dad. So yeah, he's back there eating with his uncle Philip. So yeah, he's just look. He's like, "What are they doing up there?" <laughs> Anyways, but you have anything you want to say? Or? Um, I guess I can just kind of catch people up on the ministry stuff. Maybe um, I actually hadn't planned to, and suddenly I was just up here. But um, so we are missionaries in Tanzania. Um, last time we were here, we were going to an island just off the coast called Mafia. Since then, we had a child, and that meant that we, we needed to be a little bit closer to a hospital. So we relocated to a major city, Dar es Salaam, and it also became like a launching pad for Tori for all the different projects he does across the country. He's doing church planting projects in several areas, church building projects, a lot of areas where Tori works there. Um, starting churches, but they don't have a building. And so a lot of what he does is goes into these rural areas and helps to build an actual building for these people to meet in. And that has been, um, that's been a huge part of what he does. He does a lot of ministry, like we on the coast especially, we do a lot of Bible distribution. So um, we have a uh, Arabic Swahili New Testament that we distribute. It is very well designed, and it's got, like, the olive green cover and the gold type in Arabic. So it's when we give it to Muslim families, they have to keep it. <laughs> and then they read it. And so it's been a really awesome tool that we've been able to use um, to reach out to all these families. Um, we're, we're getting sneaky in our missions work. and <laughs> But I, you know, I feel like that's part of the creativity of missions that I think is sometimes overlooked. That creativity is a really important part in being missionaries. Um, uh, what else do you do? <laughs> I feel like he does so much that sometimes it's just, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. Um, we usually host teams every year. This year we didn't host any um, because of the pandemic. So, uh, but normally every year we host maybe up to eight teams from the states, which is really, really great. And we're hoping to continue that next year. That just So if you want to add that to your prayer list, just keep praying that, you know, these, that's still facilitating um, or these things are still being facilitated as the team's coming out to work with us, that there's no, there's no fear in sending teams out to work with us because a huge part of what the ministry that we do, the manpower that comes in with these teams uh, to help us get things done. Uh, we also do a lot of working with the existing churches and pastors, and there is a mission school that Tori can teach at in Dar es Salaam, and there are resources that we gather to give to pastors. 
So that includes books um, on books on the Bible, uh, Bibles themselves that they can hand out to their churches so that their uh, congregation can read the Bible for themselves as well. That's really important. Um, so we have we gather all these resources and we distribute them to the existing pastors in the area. We have a, a lot of building projects. There's a clinic on the west side of the country that Tori built and is still trying to uh, get functioning. And then there's a youth center on the island that we've been working to finish. It's essentially done. Um, and now we're just trying to make sure that it's manned and there's people there who are, um, who are focused on evangelism in that area. So this youth center has all of these huge sports fields and a, 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 like an auditorium type center where we can host tutoring and um, English classes, et cetera. So that's huge, just praying for the right people to come along to, to um, minister there as well. So that's a little bit about what we're doing. I hope I covered all the bases. <laughs> There's a lot. <laughs> okay, thank you, Alice. Thank you. Missions is a little bit like fishing. Um, I don't know a better illustration because some people will be like, well, if you want to catch bass, you have to use crankbait. Or if you want to, well, if they're not biting, then you're going to have to use a Carolina rig. Oh, if you, they're not doing this, then you got to do that. And what's interesting is that like every pond you go to, the fish bite different bait. But no matter where you go, the point is still the same, is to catch fish and to bring them into the boat. And, and so I think, that, I think that sometimes we can get so caught up in how we do missions, or, and, and I, think that, I think that sometimes we even idolize the techniques we use to reach people. The, the avenues and the ministries that we use, but the reality is it's just like fishing. We're out there, and we're sharing the gospel, but the gospel can be served in so many different ways to so many different people who need to hear maybe a different aspect of the gospel. And so, but like fishing, some days you go out, and you are very successful. And other days you go out and you don't catch a thing. But the job of a missionary isn't, isn't to bring home a giant catch. The job of a missionary is to simply be out on the lake serving his master and doing what his master told him to do. Just to fish. And to fish and to fish for men. And so when, we, when God does give you a way to bring people into the kingdom. It's a grace. And as many times, like fishing, you just kind of stumble upon it. And you try something just a little bit different, and then all of a sudden people understand. And people start latching on to what the gospel is. Um, what else to say? Uh, we... we Tanzania is becoming a harder and harder place to work. It's becoming more and more like China. Um, if you say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, you are in big trouble. I, I mean, even in, in posts, even if I, even if I, 
present a need that's there. And I present the need in a way that the government doesn't like, I'm gone. Because I can't present anything in a way that makes it look like there's something wrong with something. And it's a very interesting game we've got to play, but we, I just, when I share updates, I just share this is the vision that we have, this is what we're doing, and these are the things we need to accomplish that vision. And I think it's, I think it's a God thing, because sometimes we can get so caught up in the, the, the dire needs that people have, and we can paint a picture that oftentimes highlights what people don't have, and then we're trying to provide for the things that people don't have. Instead of casting vision for what God wants to do among people. So, thank you everyone for supporting us, not just for continuing to invite us back to, to speak, but to continue to support us financially, in prayer, and we, we really, really appreciate this church. This is actually, I've said this before, but Heart of the Father is the second church to ever support me as a missionary. And before even churches in, in the fellowship that I'm licensed under began supporting me. And so I, it's, been, it's been a while and a, that, that you guys have been behind me and now Alex and myself. And uh, I just want to say thank you. Uh, I believe that real ministry happens when there's real, real relationship. And because Jeremiah Johnson and I had a relationship, we had a connection. And I, I am not a person that, I, I don't believe in networking. networking. Networking is a way that I just, in missions and in ministry, I don't network. Because if I network, then... I, I, I don't network, so I just, I just serve God, and I want genuine relationship with every single person that I meet and have relationship with. I don't ever want to use somebody for my means, and the church is not a means to an end. The church is simply the picture. And I think that sometimes, as missionaries, we can be tempted to use the church to support us, and the church becomes the means to missions, but really missions is the means to make a church. And so that's, so I don't ever want you to feel like I'm here, and I just want you to help me do what, what God's called me to do. I am a part of the broader body of Christ, and we are... We are sent ones from the church to build the church in a place where the church doesn't exist. So, let's get into the word. Second Kings, chapter 2, verse 19 through 25. I'll read it and then I'll pray. One day the leaders of the town of Jericho visited Elisha. We have a problem, my lord, 
They told him, the town is located in a pleasant surroundings, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Elisha said, bring me a new bowl with salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring that supplied the water to the town and threw salt into it and said, this is what the Lord says. I have purified this water. It will no longer cause death or, or infertility. And the water has remained pure ever since, just as Elisha said. Elisha left Jericho, went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, a group of boys from the town began mocking and making fun of him. Go away, Baldy, they chanted. Go away, Baldy. Elisha turned around, looked at them, and he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of them. From there, Elisha went to Mount Carmel and finally returned to Samaria. That's a crazy passage. Ah, <laughs> uh, that is an insane passage. Um, let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much for today. I thank you so much for the opportunity as a body of believers to come together and to read your word, to eat of your, to, to, to eat of your body and to drink of your blood. Jesus, I pray that we would, we would be sustained by your word, that we would be filled by the spirit as the word speaks to us. I ask that this passage of Scripture and the following passages which I'm about to preach would really land home in the hearts and the minds of every person that is here. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So this is one of those passages in the Bible. It's like, what the heck? Like, how did that get in there? And like, but today I want, I'm going to talk about Elisha's first miracle, and I want to talk about Jesus' first miracle. Um, this happens right after Elijah is taken to heaven. And Elisha just becomes a follower of Elijah and becomes a disciple of Elijah. And before Elijah is taken up to heaven, he, he just tells Elijah, I will never leave you. I will never leave you, not knowing that Elijah is going to be taken away. And then all the other prophets are saying, you know he's going to be taken away. You know he's going to be taken away. And he just tells him, be quiet. I'm following Elijah. And before Elijah is taken to heaven, he asks for a double portion of the spirit that Elijah had. The spirit of the Holy Ghost, the power of God. He wants twice that. And I don't know if you've ever heard anyone say, if I could ever be half the man my father was, I'd be quite the man. And Elijah here isn't saying, I don't want to be half the man, I want to be twice the man that Elijah was. And he, but his first miracle, the people of Jericho come to him, and Jericho looks nice. It's a beautiful area. And they come to him and they say, we've got a problem. The place where we draw water from, the water is bitter. 
It's impure. It causes death. It causes infertility. And they ask Elisha to come to the water and to help them. Elisha goes to the water, puts salt into the water, and the water is purified. It reminds me of James where he says, how can, how can fresh water and salty water or bitter water come from the same spring? It can't. Either it's going to be a fresh spring or it's going to be a bitter spring, a salty spring. Some translations use salty, some use bitter. But I, I don't know if you've ever drank water from a bitter well. It's, it's not pleasant. Actually, I th actually, if you've ever gone out to a restaurant in Orlando and asked for tap water and they brought you ice, you're like, can you get me some more lemon? Like that sulfur, that like sulfur, like I'm drinking a swamp smell. Like Orlando. What the heck does that city even exist? Anyways, like, it, it, it's, just, it's just like, what? You smell it. Like, it's, it's impossible when you get to a bitter well, a salty source of water, a water with sulfur in it, to remove that from, it's, it'd, be a, it's a, it'd be a miracle if Orlando had clear, fresh water like New York City. It'd be, it'd be crazy. Like, but here, Elisha goes down to the water, tosses some salt into it, and the water turns fresh. He does the exact opposite of what maybe some people would have done. The water is already bitter. It's already salt, and he throws more salt into it. But salt is a purifier. And there's a lot of symbolism there, but the fact is this. The people had a problem, and the source of life that provided life to the village was causing death and infertility. And they went to the man of God, and they said, you're here. You asked for a double portion of what Elijah had. We're going to test that, that double portion right now. And Almost immediately after Elijah's taken to heaven, he's tested. And a miracle is performed. From that point, he's on the way to Bethel, the dwelling place of God. And he's mocked and ridiculed by these young men on the way. Calls down a curse on them from heaven. And a bear comes from the woods, two bears, and mauls 42 of them. What does that have to do with anything? Like, he just provided life and got rid of infertility. And then all of a sudden, he's calling down fire from heaven, and the bears come out and maul these young people. Before I go to Jesus' first miracle... Let me read something. This is Isaiah chapter 56. Actually, it's kind of funny. I, and when I spoke in Winter Haven, I spoke also from Isaiah chapter 56. There, I spoke about eunuchs. 
here, if you want to see it, you can look it up maybe. But starting in verse 9, it says, Come, wild animals of the field. Come, wild animals of the forest. Come and devour my people. For the leaders of my people, the Lord's watchmen, his shepherds, are blind and ignorant. They are like silent watchdogs that give no warning when danger comes. They love to lie around sleeping and dreaming. Like greedy dogs, they are never satisfied. They are ignorant shepherds, all following their own paths and intent on personal gain. Come, they say, let's get some wine and have a party. Let's all get drunk. Then tomorrow we'll do it again and have an even bigger party. In the Old Testament, it talks about the coming of Christ. But it first talks about before the Messiah comes, one like Elijah would come. So before the Messiah comes Elijah. And there's this picture almost of Elijah and Elisha. That there is a prophet that's coming, but he's making way for a greater prophet. One who is more powerful, more amazing. In Malachi, verse, chapter 4, the Lord, sorry, um, verse 5, Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn to the hearts of their fathers to their children and the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. And I've spoken on that passage of scripture here before. So before Jesus comes, Elijah is to come. And I've always wondered, why did Jesus change the water to wine? Why was that his first choice of a miracle? I want to ask a question. What is Elisha's second miracle that he performs? He asks a woman who comes to him and says, I cannot pay my debt. And Elisha says, gather cisterns and fill them with oil. Then go sell those cisterns and pay the debt that, you're, that you owe so your child does not have to be taken away from you. Jesus comes and he asks them to bring cisterns. He asks them to fill those cisterns with water. Okay? And... He transforms water to wine. Elisha transforms dirty water into pure, clean water. But that means that the source of the water had to change. And if you look at when they filled the cisterns, wine does not come from water. Wine comes from grapes, which means that the source of the water itself had to come from another source. The water itself transformed to wine. Wine had to come from another source. It can't just come from a spring. Jesus was connected to the vine, and the vine produces grapes, and the grapes produce wine. 
Jesus produced wine because he was connected to the Father. Elisha produced fresh water from a salty water. The source in both cases changed, but the outcome was very different. In Isaiah chapter 56, it says, Oh, that the beasts of the field would come and devour my people, that the animals would come from the forest and devour the leaders. And then it says, Because all they want to do is have a party and drink wine. Jesus, God in the flesh, is there with the people. And he could have done anything as his first miracle. And he could have been asked anything of him for his first miracle. And the person who knows him the best, his mother, comes to him and asks him to make wine to appease the crowd. Jesus will give the seeker that which the seeker wants. I believe we should pray for our nation. I believe that we should pray for our president. I believe that we should pray to lead, guide, and direct them in the footsteps that God would want them to walk in. But what, break, what breaks my heart is that we are, we, we are praying. We, God will give us the, the answers to the prayers we pray. But are we looking for a lasting kingdom? Or are we praying for frivolities? The people came to Elisha and they asked him to change a life source. The people came to Jesus and asked for something that would be gone by the end of the night. Elisha, they came to a man who was going to die, whose ministry would end who could not sustain people for the rest of his life and for all of eternity. And they asked him for something that would last for generations. And the people come to Jesus and they ask him, the, person, the one whose ministry will never end and who could give us anything. And they ask him for a gift that will end tonight. There's always a duality to Christ's miracles. One part of the miracle is he gives them wine because it's announcing the bridegroom. I am here. The bridegroom is here. It's time to celebrate. But there's another part of the miracle that reveals the hearts of man. And it's interesting that he gives them wine because in the same story, in both cases, they change water. And in, the, and in both cases, the first case, an animal comes from the mountain. In the second case, there's an implication. 
Jesus calls the religious leaders blind. Calls them hypocrites. He says that they are out for their own gain, their personal interest. Jesus, again, but he has compassion, even in the wedding case. He responds to his mother because his mother asked him to do it. So as frivolous as it might seem, he still does it because he has compassion and he wants to meet our needs. Jesus, again, is teaching the word. And he's on the mountainside. And he's declaring the kingdom of heaven. And this crowd is out there to hear his teachings and to receive healing. And he performs a miracle. And he multiplies the bread and the fish. And he feeds the people. He crosses the lake. And the people follow after him. And then they say, show us another miracle. Feed us again. Give us manna from heaven. And then Jesus kind of loses it a little bit. And he says, I am the manna from heaven. I am the bread. And then he starts to say, if you drink my blood and eat my flesh, then you will have eternal life. But, we, but they just kept seeking for their bellies to be full. For their palates to be wettened, moistened, however, what do you ever want to say? And many disciples left Jesus that day. John, yeah, John chapter 8, sorry, chapter 6, verse 53. I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person up the last day. For my flesh is the true food, and my blood is the true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me in the same way anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate manna, but will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. There's a preacher, and he asked, he said, you, you can tell what sort of God you believe in by the prayers you pray. He says, if you only pray to God for your immediate family, then all God is is an amulet. It's a rabbit's foot that you rub, hoping for good health, wealth, and prosperity for your children, for you. He says, other people have a tribal deity. 
that they, they pray out to their God for their nation. He says, God is not a tribal deity. He is not an amulet that you can wear and bring out when you need. He is God over all the earth, over all the nations. Sometimes we come to God and we just, we want, we want a word from God. We want, we want to follow the prophet. Because we're just waiting, like holding on to that. And oftentimes we're just looking for a word to speak to the most frivolous things in our life. And then you have those who are seeking God. And who are going to Christ because his words bring life to your soul. And who get you to see from the temporal perspective to the eternal perspective. I love it when, when uh, you're inv- sometimes you're invited to speak as a missionary and people are always like, tell us some good mission stories. That's fine. I can tell some mission stories. I got some crazy stories. But is missions simply a frivolous adventure that we go on and come back with some awesome stories? I can go camping and I can go fishing. I can go gigging for alligators in Florida and come back with some more cool stories than some mission school store, admission field stories. I don't need missions to come back with a great story. I don't do missions because I have this wanderer lust to go places. I don't need to, to experience new cultures. I don't need any of these things. I don't serve God because I need to get something out of it. That tomorrow when I wake up, Jesus is not an adrenaline fix. I, we love revival. Praise God. But once you've experienced revival, the temptation is to want to experience revival so I can experience what I experienced back there. And we start chasing God for revival. Instead of just chasing God. People always are like, they're, they're, they're like, they're like, I, some people were over the other night and people were like, when's the ne- like, when do you think the next revival is going to happen? Like, what do you think it's going to be for the next revival to happen? And I was just thinking, I'm like, geez, we're never going to have revival. <laughs> like, I, I can't, like, in the, especially in Pentecostal circles, we've been talking about a great awakening since, like, it's like, I, uh, Brownsville, great, but it ended after five years. As long as we keep chasing manna from heaven, you know what we are? We're a bunch of Catholics going from shrine to shrine to shrine because some rock is bleeding blood. 
That's all we are. I'm, I'm serious. When, when Pentecostalism makes an idol out of revival, there's no difference between us and making Mary into an idol and putting a crucifix somewhere and then everybody comes from across the Philippines so we can worship an idol. We idolize people. We idolize Elisha. We idolize Elijah. Just before Elisha's miracle, he sees Elijah taken up to heaven. And you know what the other 50 prophets want to do? They want to look for Elijah. Oh, Elijah, he must have been put down on some mountain somewhere. And Elijah says, don't look for him. Don't look for him. But then it says, they guilted him into letting them go look for Elijah. And so Elisha lets him go out of guilt. Well, maybe he is out there. Maybe I don't care that much for my, my, my master. And he lets him go. And guess what? They don't find Elijah. Because Elijah is gone and in the presence of God. And Elisha's like, I told you so. But you didn't listen to me. Elijah wanted what Elisha had, not because Elijah, uh, sorry, Elisha wanted what Elijah had, not because what Elijah had was anything other than God. I want to know God twice as much as you. I want to experience twice as much as you. As long as we keep chasing the miracles of God, we worship an idol other than God. I choose to worship God. There's a there's a there's this rapper. His name is Propaganda. He's more like a spoken word guy, and he says, "What if my life looks more?" like the book of Esther than the book of Exodus? Am I satisfied? Like, what does God want to give me? However God wants me to be used, I want to be used that way. I don't have to see the Red Sea parting. Maybe God's just telling me, stand up and speak for your people. Stand up and put your head on the chopping block. I don't know what it is, but this I do know. We need to seek Jesus. Half the time when I speak, I don't even share about what I do in missions. For some reason, people think that what's happening out there is greater than what's happening here. Like, Oh, you got to tell me about the revival that's happening overseas. I'm like, you got to tell me about that revival. Like, I'm seeing God do things here in America in certain churches. That's greater than what I'm seeing happen over there. 
where we've got the, we've got this idea that they like where we are God's not doing enough and that somehow if somebody else changes in my church then we'll all get to experience that but somehow I'm not the hold up to revival Does, is anybody catching what I'm saying like it's always like so he's like tell us us what we need to experience revival tell us what we're missing that they got okay well they're missing the same thing you're missing they want revival and not Jesus we want to fall out on the floor instead of bowing before our king We want, like, we want goosebumps when the right chord is struck on the piano and the right worship song is sung. We want that. We want to experience that. But then when Jesus says, you know what? I want you to step away from the church. I want you to go to a country where there isn't even another believer to experience isolation on your island of Patmos? Are you gonna go? I think one of the one of the like <sighs> worship is awesome. And when we experience when we worship in a corporate body is a blessing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, we take corporate gatherings for granted. It's not the given in Christian history. It's not the given in the history of the world. Not forever has there been a corporate gathering of people who worship God. There have been many times in history where it just ceased. What you have is awesome. And so I don't want to downplay what corporate worship i don't want to downplay that but there is an addiction to ambiance do do, do ambiance can oftentimes be an enemy of the cross can you worship god a cappella like by yourself, surrounded by everyone else who is not a believer. Do you have the Spirit of God inside of you to the point where you can change the atmosphere that you're in and you don't need the atmosphere to change so you can enter in? Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? The reality is this. Most of us most of us don't want the source of life to be changed. Most of us are happy with salty, bitter 
water. Most of us don't have a dissatisfaction with the bitterness of the world. And so we don't even recognize that we're drinking water that's bad. Because the source that's within us is bad. Sometimes we don't recognize that the prayers we pray are just prayers for more wine. Like, the people when they went to Jesus were not conscious of what they were asking for. And they weren't conscious about who they were asking for the things that they were asking for. And the problem is that in the church, we don't ask for the things of the kingdom because we're so used to tasting the bitterness of America. We want to maintain the bitterness because we're afraid to lose the spring. We don't, like, most of the time I don't talk about missions, even in gatherings, because the reality is this, if I share something about what God has laid on my heart, and the reason why I do what I do most of the people in the church will just look at me like I'm crazy. You can't, you can't share your heart with people that don't have the same heart. But when you get around comrades, when you get around people who share the same vision and heart that you have, your heart starts to spill forth. Like, I can't talk about missions with most people because most people don't even love the Bible. Like, I can't talk about going out and giving my life so that way people don't die in eternity without hell when most people don't even believe in hell. I can't share the transformative message of the gospel which has transformed my life until people actually start believing that this has the power to transform lives. I don't need to go to another conference to hear another word from God because the word of God is here and I can be the one going out and preaching the gospel. Well, new phone. Like, do you get what I'm saying? Okay. Let's go to the Last Supper. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. He broke it into pieces. This is Luke chapter 22, verse 19. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. 
Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After his supper, he took another cup of wine, and he said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice to you. Jesus could have made wine for every single, like Jesus could have thrown down at every party. <laughs> Jesus could have start, moved to France and started his own wine bottling company. Jesus could have continued to feed people in the wilderness, but none of that would have brought life. What brought life was this, that Jesus came to this earth and gave his own body broken to pieces, slaughtered so that way our sins might be cast on it, so that way we might be whole people. Jesus poured out his blood as a sacrifice so that way I might drink that blood and live forever. I don't have many things in life. Okay? I don't have much in life. I have a car. I thank God for the car. It's perfect. It's exactly what we need. I don't, outside of that, for traveling around the U.S. and going kayaking and fishing, I really don't have anything. And because every time I get something, Jesus says, give it away. Jesus came to this earth. All he had was his body. And his blood, he, he left the earth with nothing. He gave the one thing he had so that people might live. I have nothing I can give in comparison to that. Every time like God gives me something for ministry, like... I, I don't know what it is. It's just I see another missionary out there. And they don't have a car. And God says, give them the car. God says, give them this. Give them that. And so then at the end of the day, like, I was feeling kind of burnt out when I came back from Africa this last time. This time now. I was like, I've been away from my family for three months. I've been, I've got nothing. Like, at the end of the day, when I come back from the mission, I feel, I have nothing. And 
Jesus said, Javi, honestly, I've never prayed. I don't even know what I'm saying right now. I, I, uh, thanks. Uh, I, I just got so, I've been fishing a lot. And I've been fishing a lot. And I haven't caught, I've caught a few things, but haven't gotten anything in the boat yet. Paddling back to the shore and feel kind of depressed and a fish literally jumped into the boat, into the kayak. <laughs> I was like, geez, what, what the heck? The real reason God got me out into the kayak and the fishing is because I didn't need to catch fish. I just needed to be silent and still before God. I didn't realize, what is my inheritance? What is my inheritance as a fisher of men? And uh, a grandpa loved this old George Beverly Shea song. It was, I'd rather have Jesus in silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold and and like all I want in my life is a spring of water. That when people get around me, they just say, that's life. It's the life of God pouring out of him. Where there once was death and infertility, there now springs this well of life. Jesus says, come to me, all who are thirsty. I just know there are thirsty people. I don't want to be a cistern that just, whoo, joy things for a minute and then it's gone. I don't want that. So we're going to keep being missionaries. Not because at the end of the day, we'll get anything from it. But I know that the kingdom of heaven is here. And I know that God wants you and he wants me and he wants every single one of us to be so full of his body to be so satisfied by his blood that people can see the eternal life that he has given us, written all over us. What wine have you been praying for? Somebody said that when you are alone, it reveals who you are. Man, Facebook has been revealing a lot of 
people in their loneliness, especially during quarantine. And I just thought to myself, I'm like, we've been given an opportunity by God to get alone with him, to spend time with him. And we're so worried about the frivolous things of life. Like, I know people are worried about a job. I mean, as a missionary, my natural carnal flesh is worried about your jobs. Because if you don't eat, we don't eat. Okay? Like, it's not like the source comes from y'all. But at the same time, like, we don't count, like, I, I was even asking, why am I back in the States right now? Like, why do I have to, like, there's so much that has to be done over there. And then we got brought back over here, and I was a little frustrated because I had, I had I didn't have anything to do. <laughs> and so, I'm, I, like, I'm back here, there's no quarantine, but I'm alone. But God's like, you, like, got me alone so that way he could revive me. How many people came out of quarantine revived by the Spirit of God? I What have we been praying? Jesus says that he's going to send one even greater than him. So John the Baptist prophesied one greater than he would come. Jesus prophesies one greater than I is coming. A comforter. So my challenge to you is this. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Each and every single person here who claims to be a believer and who is a believer, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. When you come to Jesus, what needs are you bringing before him? And what are your motives for coming before the Holy Spirit? Is it to keep the party going? Or is it to seek transformation? This party, the American experience, is going to end one day. It's going to end. Are your prayers more concerned with the nation that's going to end or the kingdom that's going to last forever? Where are your prayers today? Pray for this nation that's going to end in the same way that you pray for your body, which is going to end. But there is something greater than our bodies. There's something greater than our incomes. There's something greater than the whole mess of corona. There is something greater for those who have eyes to see. Do you see God now or do you only see the empty jars.
And depending on what you ask for will depend on what God gives you. If you're praying that God saves your job, he very well might save your job. If you are praying for God to use you as a prophet to speak to the world that needs Jesus, he will answer that prayer. Where is your heart? Where is your mind? What is God speaking to you today? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, forgive me for worrying about what I'm going to wear, for worrying about what I'm going to eat. God, forgive me for my anxieties. God, forgive me for knowing you, but not knowing you. Forgive me for preaching the gospel, but not having your heart. Forgive me, Jesus, for coming out and chasing you for manna. And you've asked me to eat your body, to drink your blood. Forgive me, Jesus, for not having communion with you. God, forgive me for just looking at you as a source and not a friend to commune with. Holy Spirit, I pray for the eternal perspective of the kingdom to be in us. I pray that our minds would see eternity and that eternity would be stamped on our hearts. God, forgive us for chasing revival. And help us to chase you. God, all we want is you. All we want is you. All I want is you, Jesus, and all I want is to make you known. Forgive me, God, for desiring outcomes that I want and not outcomes you want to give. Holy Spirit, transform, mold, renew my mind. Fill me, Jesus. God, forgive me for thinking that the holdup to renewal is other people. God, renew me so that way I might not be a stumbling block to other people's renewals. Holy Spirit, Today, with everything that we've got, with whatever we have, Jesus, today I pray that we would just give it away, give it away, give it away. Make us destitute in the flesh, but rich in the spirit. Tear down our idols. Take away the mirrors. God, I want to see you and not myself. I want to see you today, Jesus. 
Revive us to you. Connect us to you. Pray this in the mighty name of Jesus.